Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I am your host, Robert Brining, joined by my native co-host, <laughs> Jeremy Dunn. Native. How are you, Jeremy? Native co-host. <laughs> oh, I'm caffeined up today, man. I had too many caffeine drinks. <laughs> Chrome just shut me down. Hmm, isn't that a... uh, mocha overload over here. So how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I, I I don't have mocha overload because I slept all damn day and it was great. It was great. Everybody needs to relax. You know, are you I, running around a lot all week? Yeah, this week has been pretty busy. I mean, just we had a fundraiser on Thursday and just it's been it's been crazy. It's been just nuts. And so this morning. Um, I was planning on getting up, having breakfast, you know, the whole thing. Mark comes in and goes, hey, it's 1130. You're going to get up and ever I'm like, 1130? <laughs> what is that about? So then oh, I funny. went and ate breakfast and decided I was going to watch a little bit of TV and turned on the television, and there I went to sleep again and woke up about two hours later, and then it, it was that way all day. It was great. Feel refreshed? Oh, no, I still want to go back to bed. (laughs) Soon, one more hour. (laughs) I'm counting down. It's like, okay, 58 more minutes, and then I'm back to sleep. (laughs) That's so funny. That's funny. Actually, this this morning, or this afternoon, actually, I had the opportunity of going into Center City, Philadelphia, and meeting up with Sean Decker and his wife, Gwen, who, uh, you know, Sean was just on, what, two weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, he was here with his band, Synthetic Division, um, giving out, you know, doing, uh, just, you know, going around gigs and stuff. There's, a, I guess, some tour that he's on, and he was here in Philly, and he thought he would have this thing he calls the Daily Decker, I believe is what he calls it. And it's uh, where we, he just goes to coffee shops and meets people who, you know, know him from him writing on pod.com or his book. So it was really cool to get out there and actually, you know, meet him because he's somebody who, you know, his story was one of the first stories that I've ever read that I felt like I could relate to because somebody was HIV positive. You know what I mean? So it was really, uh, it was really cool to meet him because I, you know, I first emailed him, like we were talking about it today, it was probably four years ago wow. when I reached out to him, you know what I mean, the first time I read his book. So it was just really cool. I got him to sign the book and Lauren was there, um, you know, the guy who was just released on the Logo HIV and Me project uh, uh-huh. web series. Uh, he was there. He, he lives in Philly, so he came out, and I got to meet him. And actually, Sean had other friends that were there, which were really, really cool to meet, you know, well, just random people who work in the same field. Well, that's cool, and that's because he didn't want to be alone with you. I didn't understand that. <laughs> but even him and his wife, I mean, awesome. They were just awesome people. They were so cool. By the time I left, right, I had um, a signed CD, a signed book, and I left with tons of condoms. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't get any better than that. Exactly. Sign CDs, sign books. <laughs> yeah, he gave me a whole bunch of them because um, this Tuesday in Philly, there's a, a bar called Woody's. And, you know, Jacob Pring was on, uh, I think he was on with me and Jack a couple of weeks ago, and he does this event called Paws, and he does them in New York and D.C., and he's just starting in Philly. And the first one is actually this Tuesday, um, the 18th, Tuesday night from 8 to 12 at, at Woody's on 13th Street, I think. Um, and, you know, he's like, I'm, you're going to be there. He's like, can you hand out these condoms? I was like, sure. <laughs> Why not? Awesome. Right? Who doesn't love to hand out condoms? Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. So who's joining us tonight, and why, and why should we care? <laughs> um... Tonight we have a gentleman by the name of Casey Collins. I'm waiting for him to call in, um, but uh, he's a, a very interesting fella. He's uh, an artist. 
uh, recording artist. He had uh, some music out, and we're going to hear some of his music this evening. Uh, he's been living with a disease for 26 years. Um, you know, he was he has he took one of the first HIV tests in the United States, so he's going to come on and talk about that. And he really wants to come on and talk about um, kind of like what what the purpose is of the long-term survivors and how they really need to come out and 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 get more involved in it. And he'll go into more details when he calls into the show, which he's actually on the line now. So um, we'll go ahead and bring him on, and then we'll get to that later on in the show. So please help me welcome Casey Collins to the show. Welcome, Casey. Hello. Hi, Robert. Thank you for having me. Is well, that Jeremy on the other side? It, it is. Hi, hi, Casey. How are you? Well, honey, wake up. We've got a show to do. <laughs> <laughs> He's been sleeping all day. Fasten your seatbelts, lady. We're in for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, sweetie? Oh, my Lord. I'm doing well. I'm doing good. How about you? How was your day? Um, it was it was very pleasant, actually, uh, preparing to um, to join you. I'm, I'm very honored that you asked, Robert. I, I'm, um, I've enjoyed speaking with you slightly a little bit earlier, and I'm happy to be with you. And and your listeners. Well, we're glad that you were able to you know join us and take some time out of your schedule. Um, did you? Um, I'm trying to think because I remember you sent me an email um, uh, talking about the show and stuff like that because I think you you listened before or at least tried to listen before. Sometimes it can be difficult. Um, and for people who may not be on our radio show page and view, being able to view the chat room. Um, there's people in the chat room. You can come join us at Blog Talk Radio forward slash Pause I Am. And there's scroll down. There's a chat room there, and you can check out what people are saying. And uh, we welcome people in the chat room. But um, I, I know I posted something uh, on Facebook about wanting to look for musicians, and it was kind of interesting. I don't know if you saw that, Casey, and then contacted me, or if it was just kind of random in the air and it was supposed to happen. I didn't see that. I was actually inspired by the fact that you had my friend, well, kind of distant friend, uh, Aiden Shaw, on your show. And, okay. Uh, I admire Aiden so, and I think in so many ways I admire Aiden Shaw. But I really um, have been thrilled to see the turnaround in his journey and the fact that he's he's taken his story to the world in the way he has, and I. I was so touched by that that I wrote you. And I just wanted to tell you how proud I was of you and what you were doing. Um, I felt kind of uh, isolated at that moment, and just being able to tune into your show that night was a huge lift for me. It just really opened my eyes, and it really uh, it thrilled me, actually. So I, I was just writing thanking you, telling you a little bit about myself. Oh, well, we appreciate that here. At the oh, show, it's really sweet of you. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Um, you know, how um, you were going through, it, and then tell us, you know, where were you raised, and how were you brought up, and then you can lead into, you know, when you were diagnosed. Mm. All right. Well, I am the uh, the only son of my mother and my father, who are both deceased. I lost my parents when I was sixteen and um, uh, in different events. And so uh, essentially I grew up in Michigan and uh, in between Michigan and Florida. And then my father moved us to Colorado because that was his dream world. So we all went west. And from Colorado I kind of continued west. But uh, I would say that after my father's passing, I went home to... Boulder, Colorado, because there were legal proceedings regarding the way that he he passed, and it was during that that really long court drama regarding my father's death that I had to um, blow off steam some way. I was a very young man, and I actually had not slept with a lot of people sexually at all, and uh, I acquired HIV uh, after sleeping with my sixth sexual partner in my life in the winter of 1984. I was uh, basically, um, I was kind of horrified and aware that something was happening to me that was much larger than anything I'd experienced before. I had, you know, I was deathly ill 
and when it happened. So uh, I, had kinda, I, I was aware that something enormous had entered my life. And so when I went to the West Coast in the spring when the trial was over, I, I sought out a holistic physician and um, <clears throat> someone who said they were a holistic physician anyway, and I went to their very glamorous office, and uh, I told him what had happened, and he said, well, you know, you could. Uh, they've just approved the first HIV test. So I, don't, I don't know if you're interested in that. And immediately I said yes, and uh, I took the test, which I'm really surprised that I did, you know? I mean... I'm looking at some historical things regarding the epidemic, and I, I realize now, honestly, that I did take one of the very first tests. And uh, I'm I'm proud that I was courageous enough to do that at that time. Why do you think you took the test? Do you think it was like some sort of like, you know, subconsciously you did it, or like you, like you knew, or like it was just, did you have like a feeling like, yeah, I really think I need to take this test? Or was it kind of like, yeah, I'll take it, but it probably won't be it? I felt that something had happened to me that was larger than anything that had happened to me before. And right. I also began to notice that my glands were swollen. And uh, I began to go through kind of quiet horror, you know, as, a, as a, I guess really a teenager, late teenager, and I, you know, I remember sitting watching a movie, like, I guess, honestly, it could have been Back to the Future or something, God only knows, and it was completely this, you know, the 80s in the valley, and uh, I was there, and I remember just kind of feeling around, you know, and thinking in the middle of the show, you know, something's wrong with my um, lymphatic system, and that's really new, and something's going on with my body, and... I I have to do something about this and and so I I found this physician and I took the test. <clears throat> I had to wait 2 weeks. I went back and the man told me uh, I was this was I was so angry. The man told me um first of all the test was 500 and $550 which, you know, was astonishing and I was really furious. And then his la and then his consult was $150 or something. So I was furious about what they wanted me to pay but I was also just furious that, of what he was saying which was he said you are um, I regret to inform you that you have the AIDS virus within two years at the most you will uh, you will you will without question decline in health rapidly and you will become deathly ill Mr. Collins and uh, when you are in that state you can return here and we will attempt to make you comfortable and wow. I think I said fuck you oh excuse me I'm on the right I mean I mean really, really I was I, I flipped out I just I started shouting at him <laughs> I started shouting shouting I shouted my way out of the office actually <laughs> which I later heard is a really good sign if you're diagnosed with a um, terminal illness if you flip out and you have an angry response you got a you get a fighter in you <clears throat> that's very true when you now how long was because i know we spoke a little bit earlier was the passing of your parents and your diagnosis um i would say that that was about 11 months <clears throat> 11 months so it was kind of like like really a lot going on in your play because you were kind of dealing with that right, losing both of your parents and then now dealing with a diagnosis. And that's kind of what really made me relate to you, Casey, was because I went through that process where I lost my father and then six months later I was diagnosed. But uh, I just, like, pushed it under the rug for a few years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Were you active after you were diagnosed? Like, how was it after, when you were diagnosed and you went home and after, you, you know, you left the office, how did you process it? Um... Well, there's two different things you're saying there, and essentially, I'm sorry about your own father. It's really surreal what we get, um, the journeys that we we incarnate here to experience, and, you know, your father's journey is his journey, and, you know, it's shared, but really it's his journey, and you learn that when he's gone. Right. You know, and then it's your journey. <clears throat> That's right. 
so I I I, uh, I went home and I uh, basically threw myself into bed and cried for what felt like two weeks, and um, just didn't want to talk to him, couldn't speak to anyone, didn't want to speak to anyone. Seeing someone at the time, I was telling him, look, don't come over here, I'll kill you, my body's poisonous, go away from me, I can't be, um, you know, I was very, very deeply disturbed. And uh, and then one day I just kind of got up and I, I was living at this house and there was a pool, of course, because it was a valley, and I threw open the doors and I was looking at the pool and I thought, you know, if you get in that water... Just get in the water. And so I just threw myself in the water, and I kind of swam around a little bit. And I, I just said, you know, if you, uh, if you want and you're, and you're courageous enough, you, you know, because I taught swimming, I was like, well, you know, you could just inhale and sink to the bottom, and we could just end this. And I, and I just took a deep breath, and I went down to the bottom and exhaled in my air and just laid on the bottom of the pool. I remember looking up at the top of that pool and I thought, if you go up to the top of that pool, you better swim, honey. And you better keep on fucking swimming, and you better live your life. It's either now or we're going. And I just laid there for a while, actually. <laughs> I wish I had a hose for some air to think about it. <laughs> and then I, 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 I started swimming. It's a kind of battle cry amongst friends of mine throughout the years. We've always shouted at each other, swim, kick, showgirls, swim for the shore, swim for the shore. And I, keep kicking, ladies. And it's a, it's a way in which I've I've always rallied myself uh, in, the wa- in and around water. Well, that's amazing. You know, 26 years later, um, after being told that you were only going to be around what for two, you know what I mean? You're obviously here for a reason. And, you know, one of the things that we're going to share tonight is some of your um, songs. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how you got involved in singing. Because I know you were singing, you know, since you were a little kid. So can you tell us a little bit how you fell into the love of singing? Well, singing and I were wired together when I came here. From what I've heard, there there was never a time when I did not sing. Uh, so singing and I just singing's like my skin or my eyes to me. It's just always something that is with me. Thank God. <clears throat> it really has been uh, the most extraordinary gift to be in the vibration of that throughout my journey. And that's not to say that I didn't have to work to acquire the craft of singing in a way that was sustainable and, and, and healthy. But basically, singing came with me. It was like my color of my eyes. Um, and singing uh, began to become more important as I integrated the HIV piece in my life. And I began to think uh, in a very, very darkly double-edged sword. On one hand, I believed very firmly that God had a, a journey for me. That my soul had a journey. And when I say God, I'm talking about something that is far more vast than uh, than than can be said. Uh, and I, I respect all people's gods and, and versions of that. I, I don't in any way. I wasn't raised in a church. But I felt that there was some immense system of order that longed for me to speak to people. And so I, 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 I felt propelled by that to sing and to share and to open people's hearts and teach them with music. Um, and then I also was, I, I also experienced. Well, you know what? I just really want to leave it there. You want to play a song that I wrote? Yeah, I could do that. Um, I could go ahead and put on um, <clears throat> Ashes. You want to tell us a little bit about what that song's about? Um, I yep. sent you a few of them. Do you like? Is that? Is, I'm glad you like that song. I'm happy to. I'm happy that you like that song, Robert. Uh, Ashes is a song that I wrote with a man named Adam Conway. He and I wrote many songs together in the hills of Hollywood when I was younger, until I was 26, 27 years old. Well, maybe 30 actually. Um, 
Ashes was one of those magical songs that just comes out. It takes about maybe 18 minutes, and it just speaks some core truth that is so simple. I mean, the song is a very, very, very simple piece of, of work, but it has touched people, and it continues to touch people, and I, I hear from people still, you know, this is many years later, that this song, this simple song still still helps them, and and, and that's very, very fulfilling for me. It's that's a, great. Actually, um, one of the things that you mentioned is that um, it sounds very, you know, you say it now, but um, when I was listening to it, it kind of reminded me also of, uh, you said Savage Garden, but it also kind of reminded me of that group uh, Eraser. Yes, yes. Yes, we're all coming from the same cloth. I mean, I'm an Englishman born here, you know. But uh, <laughs> also, it, 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 this song reminded me of the, uh, the Take My Breath Away. That song from that time. Uh, so anyway, enjoy. It, 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 it's, it's a heart, heartful song if, you, if you'd like to play it. Okay, this is Ashes by Casey Collins. Casey Collins. So I want to welcome Casey back. Are you guys there? Yeah. Am I here? Yep. Okay. You guys are back. 
And you want Here to make sure? It sounded great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very... Um, I forgot, you know, to be honest. Uh, as I listened to the song, I, I, I actually had written that song for my father. Uh, and I, I, I don't often like to tell people what I wrote songs for so that they can have it for themselves. But for me, I was I was singing for my father. <clears throat> I, I think that's terrific. You, yeah, you that have beautiful. This, it, it really is. And and you have this this great talent um, singing. And um, how has your HIV status how how has that changed, if any, um, the the way you want to have yourself perceived in the music industry? It's a it's an excellent question, and I would say that's the darker side of the sword. Uh, I think while the the fact that I became um, uh, positive, Jeremy, um, and that I was infected with HIV during a time when there was no treatment. Uh, I mean, I kind of cut to the chase. I mean, essentially, it ended my career in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. It closed all of the doors that were possible for me at that time, and it was devastating. It took a a very long time before anyone was, was ever honest with me about what was happening. Because I was making good records, so I was making, I was making, I was taking appointments with great people, um, you know, and 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 certainly being seen in the industry, <clears throat> record executives, beautiful people who'd done great things, you know, luminous celebrities, and they were all saying, "You're a great singer and great artist." And Adam, you've got a beautiful thing with Adam, and you know, this is a very, uh, you know, commercial. Uh, beautiful piece of work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, nice to meet you both, you know. Mm-hmm. And then later, what I would hear is that they were not interested in putting. A, well, they were. I, I heard some pretty ugly things actually. Uh, it had to do with you know having lost. Essentially, what it had to do with it was a terrible homophobia that had overtaken the industry in the wake of Freddie Mercury's death. Freddie Mercury, uh, and I bow at the at the at the, the the very mention of Freddie Mercury's name. He was perhaps the greatest singer, one of I think one of the greatest singers in the history of pop rock uh, music. And uh, although people have learned to emulate Freddie Mercury, no one will ever be what Freddie Mercury was. And we were Freddie Mercury was stolen from us by AIDS. Uh, his last record he recorded at 88 pounds, um, and I heard that he would stand and sing until he would fall down, and he would take oxygen and stand and sing until he could fall down. And what he'd done is he had accepted this enormous deal with Hollywood Records, and he'd he'd taken a 20 million dollar advance. And at that time, that was really a legendary deal. That was a, a very enormous investment in such a. a you know, in an act like Queen. But he refused to take meetings with anyone. He refused to be seen. And he also had it signed that he would not promote anything uh, personally unless he was on tour in a concert. He refused to make a video. He would not be photographed for the cover of the album. And he brought this enormous shroud down around himself because he was he was actually uh, being devoured by dementia. And he was horribly paranoid and deeply ill. And so I, I happen to know a lot of the inside stories because I was I was there. And um, I'm, anyway, so what took place was when Freddie died, he left Hollywood Records with this twenty million dollar investment and uh, eleven finished songs. One of those songs, one of my favorite songs in in, the, in of all time, which is "The Show Must Go On." And if you yeah. don't know that song, I mean, you know that song. Mm-hmm. All of you must know that song. If you're young and you don't know that song, look up Freddie Mercury, The Show Must Go On, and buy it. And and really, really use it as a rallying point for you as a human being at any point that you're you're struggling. It's really a great... Uh, I heard that song for the first time in, in France, and I, I, I came completely unglued. But Freddie Mercury created this phobia for all the labels subsequently. 
And not only were they completely homophobic, which we've all heard from George Michael and uh, Ricky Martin at the time, all of those people at that time that were deeply closeted people, uh, performers, um, they became extraordinarily phobic of HIV. They were not going to make an investment in you if you had that virus. And they didn't know anything about that virus. They didn't want to know anything about that virus. They just didn't want anybody on their label to have it. And the way they did that is that they forced you to sign in your contract a, uh, an, insure, uh, an insurance clause. You had to be insured. You had to be insured to go on tour. You had to be insured to go on the, uh, a video set. And at that time, video was linked. In, you know, we wrote our songs imagining the videos, you know, because we grew up with the MTV before, you know, it was showing us empty people's lives. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that, um, that um, out of your bio that was kind of, I thought was very interesting and something that you have to be kind of proud of is Advocate Magazine in 2000 praised your debut CD saying that Collins takes Maldivanus to new sonic heights and introduced the world a world-class singer. And then you were nominated for three uh, Gay and Lesbian Glamour Awards. What was that like? To, to, like to go through those motions in life, you know, being HIV positive, you know, again, two years, and now here you are in 2000 getting, you know, all this recognition for your music. I have to say that it was redemptive. It was nothing short of redemptive. It was so uh, thrilling to me. I felt uh, so, uh, um, you know, you make great art. You know, even if it's simple art, but if you make your art and you know that you make your art and it's good work and you know that about it. But one one day someone calls you up and says, you know, you've been nominated to, to, to do this. And not only have you been nominated to do this, no, you're the only person who doesn't have a major label deal. And you've never even been on the radio. And you've been nominated for Best Male Artist, Best Producer because I produced the tracks, and uh, Best Dance song of the year in company of major stars and who are you (laughs) (laughs) and i was so so grateful i was so grateful and uh i i i was truly it was a redeeming uh time in my in my career in my life and i went out to new york like you described and i that was the first time I met John Cameron Mitchell and um, Michelle and Deggio Cello and people who were peers of mine, people I believed I always belonged in the company of. But for, from, from my journey, I felt that I had, been, I had been kept from my path. Now, you know, a lot of independent things had begun to emerge, but you have to know that by that time, you know, we're talking, you know, the year 2000, I was, I'd been in the business since I was 11 years old, you know, and I, I was tired of the homophobia, I was exhausted of the, the HIV, the HIV phobia, the, in, the non-insurable closet, I was devastated, so to be, to be, and you know, that night I, got, I was the only person who received a standing ovation, and it was, a, it was, a, it, it, you know, they say when you die that you can remember all the beautiful moments of your life. That that definitely was, was one of them. Well, I know one of the, um, well, since you, you mentioned earlier that you took one of the first HIV tests, so obviously I would assume that you t- took one of the first, you know, the medicines that came out for it. And now, how are you doing now um, on health-wise? Um, but I also know you wanted to talk a little bit about some of um, the bone density um, issues that comes with taking medicine. Um, I forget the name exactly, the one that you mentioned. Virida yeah. or something? <clears throat> well, thank you. Very... I don't know if you've heard about this uh, at all, Jeremy. Um, but I think it's important. You know, my doctor said to me, uh, I have two extraordinary physicians in my life, Dr. Ben Young in Denver, Colorado, who's the... James Bond of the HIV treatment clan. He's an international physician. Um, well, actually, kind of three. My adopted father, Charles Steinberg, who is a heroic character in the history of HIV. 
Um, and my present doctor, who's exceptional, his um, name is Dr. Michael Wolfheiler. <clears throat> but Ben said to me at one point, he said, you know, Case, let me take this burden called HIV. It's my job. Let me have that. He goes, let me tell you something. You will not die of HIV. He said, the next thing he said was the clause, though. <laughs> and that was to say, I, I cannot guarantee that you will not be hurt and that something will not be a mis- mistaken and that something that we use might injure you and it may cost you actually your life but i promise you hiv will not be what puts your body in the ground and uh subsequently i began to experience a uh, uh, tremendous amount of uh pain uh, like unfathomable pain for the first time in my life and uh, i don't want to talk a long time about it but i I had my bone density checked at the time, and my bone density was on the lowest level of uh, acceptable bone density at the age of 30, God, what, 41. And now I still just keep having my bone density checked, and uh, I was a Viriad taker. I took Viriad to Nafavir, and I trusted Viriad because I had a very clean experience with taking the drug, and I took the drug for five years. And I I now have a bone density they say of a 75 year old man. I have the lowest. I have I have, I have osteo osteoarthritis in my. Um, I hate talking about my my inside of my body, but I I I have osteo. I, it's important for people to know that if you are experiencing unique pain in your hips or in your lower back, that you go immediately to your doctor and you demand to uh to see a dexa body scan of, of your bone density it, we are going to see a tide of men who have been injured in a way that uh we will we we will be horrified by i fear um by in the same way that d4t had had its effects and you know uh i don't want to go into the different kinds of uh, side effects that took place that, that have been such a horrible burden for people. Um, it's definitely something that people should um, kind of be aware to, of and, and to check out, you know? Yeah. If you've been taking Viriad, take it very seriously. Please go and have your bone density checked and begin an aggressive uh, uh, treatment to um, establish, reestablish your bone density. I ended up having a vertebra in my back removed and my sacrum attached to my spine with screws. And uh, I, uh, you know, um, I still have that, that, that I have osteoporosis at 44 years of age. So um, what do you think about, um, because you actually mentioned something that, uh, that, that, that I, I think is interesting, is, is they're releasing a lot of studies now about um, how HIV-positive men, well, HIV-positive people in, in particular, mm. are showing signs of early aging disorders, like yeah. osteoporosis um, yeah. and, 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 and other things. What do you think, or or what advice, you know, because I think you're on to something here, is what advice can you give to those to those uh, folks who are newly diagnosed, who are not used to the medicines? What would you say to them um, even, uh, right now before they make that decision to go on to meds for the first time? You know best. You know what's true. What you know inside of yourself, what you sense inside of yourself is correct, and the world will conspire to tell you differently, but you know what's true for you. And so when you go towards a physician, you had better love your doctor, you had better be able to tell your doctor anything and everything about yourself, including, you know, things that you would never tell anyone. Right. uh, I really am a very strong advocate of being completely honest with your physician. And if you cannot be completely honest with your physician, I, my heart goes out to you so deeply. Please find someone else to care for you. 
make a, a dear friend of the person who is who is caring for your body, and then uh, go into a dialogue with this person about these medications, and then join circles and chat circles, and then without question get yourself into a support group. I could never ever have survived the first years had I not been a part of many support groups. Uh, you know, something you spoke to on the on the on the 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 advertisement for um, this engagement. Uh, go towards people like yourself and learn from them. And, and really, don't be afraid of someone who's older than you moving towards you who has information for you because we can see ourselves in you. We can see our bodies in you. We can see choices that you're making that we can help you uh, with. But in the end, you'll know and even intuitively, you could shake the bottles in your hands, man. You can get a shake of the bottle and you can smell the stuff. You can just get a sense of it. You know, is this me? I don't think so. And if you take it and you and you experience that you've had a positive experience, then then bingo, you know? If you take it and you are ill and you're and you are suffering in a manner that is that is unbearable, you have every right to change immediately. Any any piece or all of your treatment regimen that is that is burdening you, we have we have we have made manifest a miraculous rainbow of treatment for people, so that we can we can address caring for so many different kinds of people. So you know we look at these charts now. I mean it's like it's like a jukebox in a way. It, I don't mean to be you know flippant. But it's there for you. It's there for you, for you to make choices with. And um, <clears throat> so that's what I would say. So, yeah, because a lot of people who are newly diagnosed are are scared about um, you know starting meds. So it's good to hear that coming from you know a uh, long-term survivor, you know, living with a disease for 26 years, to hear that kind of input come from you that if that doesn't work, you can always switch it up. There's options for you. And I think a lot of people are so afraid that if they have one bad experience, it's going to be a bad experience every time. Um, I'm yeah. sorry, Jeremy, did I cut you off, buddy? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, I, I think you're, you know, we're, we're sitting here and we're talking about meds and what to start and what to do. And, and mm -hmm. what about... You, Casey, what has been, you know, the probably one of the toughest decisions that you've had to make after uh -huh. finding out that you've, you know, you you have HIV, you know, your the the doors in Hollywood, so to speak, have been closed. What about now? What what is that decision now? Uh, he got me a little misty there. Hold on. <laughs> um. Listen, at the, at this point in my life, I I I am uh, I always believed that my I had a secret pact with my soul, and that as long as my soul's work was not complete on this realm, and I'm talking about that part of us that we have way behind your personality, way behind anything that you present as a being that people can see or the vibration that you use to speak with or all of that or that I do I would say that um, I always had this secret pact you know I felt with my soul that if you're if you're done with me then you'll dump my body because my body is only a vehicle for you and um, I I had to cling to that because you, you I don't know if you know, I don't know how long you've been involved in this experience, um, Jeremy, but basically we had no choices. There were no choices. There was nothing on the table for years and years and years. We uh, we had to witness some, uh, you know, horrific loss of life with nothing in our hands to stop it. And so I guess... How does that wind around to what I'm trying to say here? It, does, it winds around in this way. I can only really believe that I'm here for one of a few reasons, and 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 one of them at this point is is I 
I really want to know love. I, I want to have, I was kind of an untouchable person in my life because of my career. Because of so many things that had to be shielded from people, I, I was very closed apparently to people and untouchable in a way because I had secrets I was attempting to keep to, um, to engage a, a, a worldly career. And uh, that bled over into a kind of untouchability that continued and, and, and that I, I, I think I've kind of become cursed by. And so I, want to, I, I really want to know partnership and, and I want to know what it's like to shut out the lights and talk till we fall asleep together with someone. I, I want to be loved and I want to love someone. I've only done that once. And uh, so uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm here. The second reason why I'm here, I, I've been realizing, is that I have to become valuable. I, I, my body would be... If my initial platform that I was standing on was that my soul would use my body until we were through, well, then I have to ask myself, what do you want from me? And it's coming in very clearly. Uh, I believe that, that it is time to end the story of HIV, meaning I have begun to hear this kind of chant that goes through my body and it says a treatment is not a cure a treatment is not a cure and I'm not ungrateful you know but I've been around for a long time and it feels like we're moving forward because the treatments that are are in hand keep being modified they keep being packaged differently they're easier to take they're slicker in design they're more you know etc and it feels like movement but what you must know is to my eyes i watched the first drugs arrive i watched the first pieces land that could even begin to put together to to stop this this ice cold monster that was burning everyone up and i i so having seen that take place i realized you know, as a, I'm, I'm, it's easier to sing than speak, so if I get a little muddled, give me a moment. What I can tell you is this. Uh, a treatment is a pause, to be honest. It's a luxurious pause in the experience of life extension. And we're, I, we are graced as a result of the, the collaborative ex efforts of, of many magnificent minds globally that, you know, actually my family and I can say myself and people that I knew that I was dear to who are gone, Martin Delaney, um, uh, the, at the forefront of this, very dear men in my life, um, essentially we, we demanded a treatment we demanded that our friends stop dying. We demanded that we stop being overlooked and, and shamed for how we acquired this disease and who we were. And we demanded that that be entirely rewritten. And it was. It was. A, it was. It was a miracle. It worked. We asked for something impossible. There wasn't a microscope that could take a photograph of a virus. Nobody knew what this thing looked like for years, you know, really. And so we demanded that we wanted to know what it looked like. We demanded that money be sent in, in, in any regard, in every regard, to save our lives and the lives of people surrounding us. And now that I have been through this journey and I've been allowed to get, I've been truly gifted with uh, this luxurious pause I'm feeling the kind of play button internally getting pushed on me again and it says to me demand a cure band you think one day we'll see a cure Casey huh you think one day we'll see a cure I demand a cure you should demand a cure and you know why Because we already have, and it already happened. They listened. They respond. 
when challenged, when demanded, they do what it is that we need, what it is that we ask for, because there were so many of us with great heart and intent and a tremendous amount of, of, of skills regarding politics and, 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 and persuasion that were really wielded so brilliantly. But all of those things came from a from activism, from being connected to one another, from caring about one another, and for, for, from demanding that the nightmare of loss stop. And a treatment miracle emerged. Now we have a rainbow of treatments. So why do you think not? That's, why do you think that's one of the things that... Are, do you think that's one of the things that's missing um, now in 2010 is, is the strong um, activism and, and, and getting involved in the politics of it all? Do you think a lot of people are shying away from that and that's kind of why we're losing the voice kind of or the voice in the fight? Of course, of course. That's why I wrote you. That's why I'm proud of you. That's why I'm thinking what you do is valuable. That's why I, I that's why anytime someone who is redeemed like Aiden or anyone adds their intelligent voice to the journey, uh, like Paul Kidd in Australia, like many people that I've known who, who manage to survive and turn their lives around, have something valuable to say. Um, that's why uh, essentially yes, of course that's what's missing and um and there's a lot of reasons why, obviously, that it is missing. But nonetheless, remember, I have witnessed a manifestation of a demand of our people. So why not? Let's, I mean, I, I came to me in the last few days really very deeply and very in deep emotion of feeling that it's true. Why have I been here to witness a story? if I cannot be present to inspire its ending. Very true. A treatment is not a cure, my friend. A treatment is a pause. It's a luxury. It's, I'm not ungrateful, but it is a pause. And it is a lifelong engagement with a pharmaceutical machine. And it, it is not sustainable. I want treatment. Excuse me. I want a cure for HIV. I want a vaccine for HIV, and I believe we should take that chance up, all of us, and I, I really am calling on all of us to do so. And I think there are others who are doing it as well, but that's what, that's the only value I can have at this point in my life, is no. to remind you, it's possible. I've seen the impossible happen. No, that makes a lot of sense. Just real quickly, because we only got a couple minutes left. Um, and I still want to play my favorite song out of all of yours, um, A Hole in the Sky. So before we do that, um, I have one quick question for you. Tell us a little bit quickly about um, the survivor circles that you were talking about to me on the phone. Because we do have, I see here in the chat room, we have Daddy Dab and we have uh, Nate. And I'm almost positive both of them are from Florida. And I know that's from where you're from. And they're both long-term survivors like yourself. So that may be a good connection for you to, you know, connect with them. But tell me about these survivor circles that you were talking about earlier. Uh, <clears throat> our stories matter. The way in which I've told my story this evening has rallied the stories of those two men and perhaps others and women and children who are listening to this experience somewhere else in the world. Your story matters. So come forward. Let's, let's begin the journey back to being with one another and tell the history of this of, a, of this story it wasn't it was not just a nightmare yes of course it was a nightmare but it was also a miracle and it was a human manifestation of a, of, of of the miraculous through science and it came because we gathered together and we called for it so i would say um I'm so long-winded. I'm sorry. You got me going, kids. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> All I can say is, bottom line, let's get in a circle together. Let's take a look at each other. Let's not be afraid of what that will feel like. And let's set our agenda for the ending of this experience. We have better things to do with the rest of our lives. Right. 
Um, we do have one quick caller. I have somebody online, so let me just bring them on real quick before we go um, to the song. Uh, caller 734, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hello? Okay, I guess they're just listening, so we'll let them there. Uh, Jeremy, do you have a comment? Well, I was, you know, you, you were you talking, Casey, you were talking about, you know, um, finding that doctor, finding that, you know, what I'm coming away with this, and I'm going to boil this down to a sound bite, and I know that's probably not good, but no, it's I to love be that. an activist, <laughs> you know, to be an activist in your own treatment. Uh huh. I, I I think that's what I'm coming away with it, coming away with what you just um, were well, talking excellent. about. Yeah. Is is trying to be, you know, actively involved. You know, press the doctors, press the government, press whomever you can, but be an activist in your own treatment. Yes, absolutely. Of course. That's a great message. Now, where can um? What to say? Oh, keep going. Okay, uh, Casey, what is uh, you wanted to give out an email address for people to contact you? Um, so if you wanted to go ahead and give that out, you can give that out that out to them now. My name is Casey C A S E Y Collins C O L L I N S. And you can find me at earthlink.net. I've had the same email address for, it seems like, 100 years. So Casey Collins at E-A-R-T-H-L-I-N-K.net. A treatment is not a cure, my friends. It's time to end this disease. Demand a cure for HIV. Demand a vaccine for HIV. Let's write the end of this story. I hear you, Casey. Tell us real quickly um, a little bit about A Hole in the Sky, and then I'm going to start the show because we are about to end quickly, so I want to get your song on for a bit. Well, thanks, Katie. Just thank you. Enjoy. All right. You have, you have a great night, Casey. Bless you. Thanks, Casey. Ciao. And remember, folks, you guys can find more information on the radio show at posim.com and more information on Jeremy at PositivelySpeaking.com. And this, again, is A Hole in the Sky by Casey Collins. Have a good night, and thanks for tuning in. See you next week when we have Kimberly Locke. Cause it's me.